Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. On the line, as always, David Mirakatani. David, it's it's been an exciting week. Junior Worlds are getting underway. We had Medved. How are things in your neck of the woods? Everything's good, man. Getting settled back down. Um, fantasy football season has started, so nerd alert there. Everything's good. How about you? I feel like we could do a side podcast just on fantasy football, and that would be it would be epically terrible and nerdy, but I think some people would enjoy it. We could uh, we could also probably kill all of our listenership except for about 27 people. Well, it's not to <laughs> do it on weighing in. The people expect more from you. <laughs> yeah, that's rough, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been fun. Everything's good. Um, we got the we talked about last week. The last event got you know finalized and everything, and now. Uh, we are uh, getting the new Battle for Missouri planned uh, in 2019. It's going to be in Kansas City, and um, we're working on – I'm actually going to Kansas City this weekend to finalize the arena. Uh, we're going to have two pro Greco matches in that thing. It's going to be awesome, and I'll, I'll you know, give you guys the data on that as soon as I get everything finalized. Sounds good, and it's a good day to talk about Greco. Junior World started with that style. Uh, yesterday we saw Kamal Bay and – Colton Schultz advanced to the semis. They both took losses in the semis. Colton bounced back with bronze today. Uh, Kamal Bay, unfortunately, came up short, losing in the bronze medal match to Makamadov, who he beat last year for the gold medal. Um, that bracket was pretty stacked. All, all of four of the returning medalists were in the bracket, and three of the four were on Bay's side, plus a, a relatively unknown Russian that did quite well and made the finals. So that was pretty wild. And then today, Andrew Berriesa advanced to the finals. He will wrestle for gold tomorrow. Uh, it's, you know, having anyone in the finals in Greco is good. And back-to-back years, we've got a chance for a, a champion. It's good. It, and it's even better that somebody like Berriesa, who's, he's not unknown on the Greco side, but he's not one of our guys that we see as the next generation like Kamal Baywood be or Colton Schultz or, you know, Jangelo Hancock, but good to see a guy like that stepping up. Most definitely. And, you know, we've had this conversation a lot, you and me off the air and Andy and I've had it on the air at the age group stuff. We, we do fine as a country. The, the problem is from 18 to 23, most of our guys don't wrestle Greco and, you know, if you're doing something every day, if you're doing journalistic things every day, and I'm not, even if at one point we were equal or I was ahead of you, you're going to pass me. And and that's what's happening. And it, it all goes back to the collegiate style versus Greco. And, you know, colleges are paying for scholarships, you know, scholarships are for their, their folk style performance. And that's a conundrum. You know, I've talked to a lot of people about it. I talked to Gary Mayab about it. I just, I don't see that there's a really easy solution. I mean, it's just, you know, it's good that our style or our American folk style is similar to uh freestyle. I think that's why that works well. And also obviously the grind of the season, I think actually, you know, brings value, you know, to, to creating work ethic and things like that. So, yeah, but, I mean, there's definitely value there for sure. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean, Barry Asa will be going to Cornell this year. You know, Colton Schultz is committed to Arizona State. So Kamal Bay of the three is the only one wrestling Greco full-time. Um, and that's – it's hard to overcome that. I thought it was interesting watching these guys wrestle. I mean, obviously Schultz was a cadet world champion last year. 
they was junior world champion last year and Barry Asa finally got his Fargo title last year. So kind of different experience levels, but you know, Kamal Bay is, we know him. He's going to go out and try to score points. And when he runs into a guy that can stop his offense, he's going to struggle. And that was both of his losses were fairly lopsided. And it's because he's not going to shut it down. He's going to go for it. And if it doesn't work, you know, he's going to lose not by one point, but by five, six, seven points. Um, Schultz, you know, he's a heavyweight. He's not as explosive, but he wants to score points and you can see it. He's kind of in between, you know, Barry Ace is on that other extreme. Barry Ace, he plays the game like a European, you know, he won two to two in the semifinals, got a, a, an advantageous lock towards the edge, walked the guy over, forced, you know, his opponent to the edge and then waited for him to make a mistake and got two points. That was the only points of the match. You know, there was four minutes to go at that point. He got, you know, hit twice with passivity for points, went down both times, defended, and won the match two to two. It's not pretty, but it was, you know, he wasn't going to make any mistakes. He played good defense, which isn't something we always see out of Team USA. So it was very different style than what we're seeing from some of our best Greco guys. Obviously not going to be an entertaining style, but sometimes highly effective. Yeah, sometimes you're not the most talented guy, right? And you got to find ways to win, and that's uh, that's a real issue. The other thing, uh, Cornell Robinson and I were talking about this. He and I were actually in the corner together for Malik Johnson and for Sevian Severado. Both these guys were the alternates on this team. And, you know, our conversation at Scott Green from Wyoming Seminary put out a tweet talking about how Greco is it's very simply it is refereed differently here in the United States than it is overseas and it's not right or wrong but it's a problem if you're you're winning what if you you know come up with a style to win here and then it doesn't convert to the next to the next level so it's it's definitely something to look at it. And I mean, I can tell you that firsthand from sitting in the corner, you know, the risk is rewarded a lot more overseas than, the, than the tournaments that I've, I've been coaching it. And, you know, I think we want our guys to risk. I mean, one of the reasons we love the Kamal Bays and the Gianzo Hancock is because they put up huge points like a Spencer Mango, you know, a St. Louis guy, like those guys put up big points and they went for it. And when the referees, push it so that you're not rewarded for that people are going to always smart guys are going to always adjust to the rules that's just going to happen and so if you're better than me but all i can do is hold position and win i mean that we saw that in in freestyle when it was like sets in tennis and it was you know you reach in the bag and pull out the ball and people just would just hang out and do nothing and then hope they got the right you know they they hope to hit red or blue and, and they've changed that in, in folk style or freestyle. They have changed that in folk style. And I think if they continue to change it in Greco and then referee to that, you're going to see a better product. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it's, it's hard to watch some of those Greco matches and I'm, you know, I'm not raining on uh, Barry Ace's style. He wrestled a smart match. He got, you know, got the lead and knew how to win with it. But your point is well taken. I think every wrestling style when you have guys that know they're not the best, 
they are going to play that game and it's up to the officials and the rules makers to make sure that that sort of thing isn't rewarded. You know, we see it in college wrestling. We see it in freestyle. It's just seems a little easier to do in Greco to shut it down because there are less avenues for attack. So it's harder to open up a good guy that knows how to hold position. Um, but Barry AC, you know, he, he's got a chance to win a, a world championship and, you know, he's done a nice job. We'll be pulling for him tomorrow. Uh, that should be around noon. I think it's 11 central uh, tomorrow and that will be on track wrestling. So check that out. Uh, also on track wrestling this weekend, we had the Medved. Had some good results. Obviously, Alex Deeringer grabbed the headlines, winning a gold medal, 79 kilos. You know, just more proof that men's freestyle in this country has tremendous depth. Um, you know, we see a guy like Deeringer who's not, you know, he's not even second right now, but he is one of the best in the world. You know, winning another one. We also had Isaiah Martinez and Ty Walls grab bronze medals on the first day. Um, weird situation with, with Victoria Anthony, which we'll touch on here, got to the finals, the weigh-in schedule for the second day was changed sometime overnight, and she missed weigh-ins. There was also a Belarusian at 50 kilos, the same weight that also missed weigh-ins, so something happened weird there. Uh, the USA Wrestling write-up says that the U.S. officials objected, but there was nothing they could do. Uh, so that's weird. She officially doesn't get a place, even though we know she made the finals. Um, and then the, the next day with Deeringer, Joe Colon reached the finals, finishing with a silver medal and Nico Megalutis with bronze. So obviously Deeringer, the headline, Anthony, that's a weird situation, but obviously wrestling well. Um, you know, just more depth, Team USA. For sure, for sure. And, um, you know, social media is great for memories. It literally popped up one year ago that Alex was here in St. Louis. He actually stayed with me for the weekend, did a seminar in a clinic at my old high school, Kirkwood High School, with a couple buddies of mine, Marcus Kane, who runs Thoroughbred Wrestling Academy, and Matt Collum, who's now living in Chicago. And uh, there's a kind of a, like an adult sports bar, not like adult adult, but like, you know, big games there. And like um, I, Ringer and I played those guys in shuffleboard. So it, it was the funny joke was, I wonder which one he's more proud of a shuffleboard title a year ago or his Medved title this year. But I love Ringer. He's an awesome dude. And I, I think he's, you know, it was, it was very interesting to see how he was going to react to losing to, to Zahid because it wasn't, really close and you know i saw alex in june at the hall of fame and he was really i was impressed he's like i just have to get better i'm working on some things you know but you know coach i'm i'm not done i'm coming back and you know everybody says that and then some guys do it so i was super impressed with him getting the job done it, it was it was a uh and that tournament is no joke so it, it was super impressive by him yeah i saw a picture of Deeringer with uh, with the Alexander Medved, so very yeah. cool. Uh, very cool that he got to meet him, one of the legends of the sport. Yeah, what you're talking about, you know, only one guy can go to the world championships from each country every year, and everybody else has to decide if they're going to keep training hard, if they're going to, you know, see their dreams and keep working, or they're going to, you know, pack it up and go do something else. So when somebody loses like that, you know, you lose to a guy that's younger than you, it would be easy to pack it in, but obviously he's not doing that. He's going to continue. And we need that. We need competition for the spots. We need depth, um, you know, and 
he's young enough at this point, he's got plenty of time to figure that out, get better and take that spot. So uh, good for him. And, you know, good for all those guys that keep wrestling and keep getting experience and keep trying to get better. So that's good. It is a tipping point conversation though, like you said, and I think that that's worth, you know, saying like he, he, he didn't lose like a, you know, a criteria match or an overtime match or not an overtime match, but a criteria match or something where like, Oh, there was this controversial call kind of like when he lost to Dake at the U S open, you know, where there was that close call at the end. And I think they got the call, right. But so he was right in that match. I mean, Zahid really wrestled him well and beat him pretty soundly. And for a guy that's not used to losing, it's very interesting to see how people like that are going to react. And I'm super impressed by his reaction. Uh, I mean, I'm completely biased. Like I said, he's a friend of mine and he's a kid I really like, but I just, I was super impressed. So, you know, well done, Alex. Absolutely agree. Um, moving on, had a, <laughs> I was super excited about this and I know you weren't, uh, you were a little surprised at how excited, but you know I'm a wrestling geek, and I like the electronics, so I was very excited about something I saw coming out of track wrestling this week, and, you know, this is something I had kind of talked about with various people, you know, kind of theorized about how to do it, and I'm sure they didn't get it from me. I'm sure they thought of it, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one that have thought of it, but they call it the electronic tapper system, and, you know, if you've ever been to any level of tournament, you've seen the officials, you know, the, the clock's ticking down and the tapper either forgets to go out there, or doesn't hit him on time or something happens and time runs out and they're not sure when it actually ran out. And it's close on either a pin or a near fall count. They have to go talk to the table and figure out, you know, when did time expire? What happened? You know, what are we doing? Well, so the electronic tapper system hooks into the track wrestling clock and the referee wears a watch on their wrist that vibrates when time is out. So they know exactly when the clock hits zero, exactly when the action should stop and are in complete control of the whole thing. I'm super excited about this. I think they're going to do it at the NCAA level. And obviously they're going to sell these things to anybody that wants them. I love this, David. Yeah. So to be fair, to give some people some background on this, I'm sure people understand we do prep and you and me talk for about 10 minutes before the, before we do the podcast and we go through a rundown and we have a Google document where we, anything that we think is newsworthy, we just both collaborate on that, put that in there. And then we talk about it and you put this tapper thing on here. And I've been a little busy trying to catch up from life after the event. And I'm like, what's this tapper thing? And your level of excitement <laughs> was a off the chart and be awesome it's it's great you and me are guys that want them to get it right like you know so th this is great it's awesome uh but i don't think i'm gonna know five people in my life that are more excited about this than you oh i'm so i'm certain you won't i mean i i understand i'm way more excited about this than most people i think wrestling's been a little slow to adapt i mean we have some good technology options now, but there's so much more we can do. You know, the, the clock starting and stopping on the whistle, that is within the technology that's out there, stuff like that. So I'm really excited to see this. And like you said, it's all about getting the call right. And this gives the official another tool in the toolbox. They don't have to rely on, you know, a tapper 
or a second official or any of that, it's right there. It vibrates. It's right, right in front of them. It'll help. It'll get calls right, and it'll keep mistakes from happening, and it'll speed, speed things along because they won't have to go have these you know, discussions with the table about when time was out. So really excited about that. Can't wait to see it. Um, we'll move on before I geek out too much. Let's see. It's 130. Oh, before we get to 133 pounds, which we're going to this week after we did 125 last week, uh, some late breaking news out of Cornell. Uh, ben Darmstadt looks like he's going to miss a significant amount of time, possibly the entire year at Cornell um, with a back injury. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the Ivy League, it's not as simple as just red shirting, but there is a, a process to get a fifth-year waiver. Obviously, we've seen the NCAA give out six years, but this is a little different because, you know, the NCAA will be fine with it. Ivy League that has to determine. Um, but that's way down the road. This opens the door for Ben Honus to wrestle 197 again. Um, it's obviously unfortunate to lose you know, Darmstead for a year, but uh, – Cornell will be okay with Ben Honus. It's just unfortunate for the young man. Yeah. One of the cool things about what you and me do is we get to interview guys both in short format and I get to do long format. And uh, Darmstead was one of the guys um, last year, Mark Ostrander and I for track wrestling kind of split up and we'd go get different guys that came off the mat. And I, I can't remember it was after the round of 16 or, I think it was, I think it was a Thursday night and Darmstead had like the line of the tournament in terms of interviews where he compared himself to like a Sarah McLaughlin song about how skinny he was growing up, like with those dogs that need to be fed. So he's, those guys from Cornell, like him and Palacio, they have some of the best quotes, but you kind of find yourself rooting for guys just because they're nice kids and you get to know them a little bit. So, uh, I do think they're going to work this out. I think it's fair. I mean, I hope they get it worked out, right? Like that feels like what needs to happen. So I, I really, I hope they can figure, you know, figure out a way to make it happen. And I mean, fair is, you know, fair is fair. Like I'm friends with uh, very good friends with Terry Pack and Cody Pack when Cody got his sixth year at South Dakota state. And it's, it kind of, it, you just hope everybody gets treated equitably. That's probably the best way I can say it. So uh, I'm I'm glad that this is probably going to happen. And it also, you know, forces a kid or prevents a kid from like, well, I'm coming back, even if it's not the right thing, you know, health-wise. So and it's kind of a no-brainer. It's not like we're taking a big stand here, like, hey, I hope he gets a year if he deserves it. But I do hope he gets that year for sure. I, I agree. And I mean, I think the NCAA has been handing out 60 years. I think they've finally decided the same thing. You know, I mean, I understand that these, you know, the academics come first, you know, all these guys are out there to get a degree first, um, especially in wrestling. I mean, they're not going to, the odds of going pro are slim. And even with that, you're going to need your degree down the road. So get your education. But at some point we need to understand that, you know, if they stay on that scholarship, they can get a master's degree. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of wrestlers finishing up their sixth year and they have a bachelor's and a master's degree. So that's a good thing. You know, keep these guys in an academic environment. They still have to make progress towards their degree. 
yeah, I, I hope the Ivy League sees that and kind of goes that way because, yes, I understand that you're different. You, know, you prioritize academics even more than the other teams in NCAA Division One, but this is out of his hands. Like, there's nothing he can do about it, and a fifth year at Cornell is not a bad thing. <laughs> you know, if, if you believe in your institution, which at Cornell you absolutely should, then a fifth year for a guy should not be a bad thing. So hopefully it all works out. Um, obviously we'll miss watching him on the mat this year. Hopefully he gets healed up and comes right back. Yeah, for sure. But the other thing people don't think about is like, people are like, well, does the kid deserve a year or not? Like it's tough. Cause it's hard on a family, right? Like, I mean, this is a financial strain. This has to happen a certain way. So this is not as simple as just ABC. Like, and Cornell has good financial aid, but they're Ivy League, so they don't technically have scholarships. So, I mean, this, this is layered. And um, one of the other things that, that came in, and you and I were talking about this, uh, Brian Medlin just sent me a text. So do you, want, do you want to talk a little bit more about the Victoria Anthony thing while I've got this in front of me? Yeah, let's circle back and get get some, get some an opinion from someone that knows. Who was there, by the way, for folks that don't know, he was there. So it says, I just said to him, I said, hey, can you send me an explanation of what happened with the Victoria Anthony weigh-in situation? And this is, I'm going to just read this verbatim. They changed the weigh-in time at the venue. The night before, it said 9 o'clock for finalists. Then they changed it to 8.30 and didn't say anything. She was there at 8.30 just sitting by the door and didn't know she was supposed to weigh in because they just changed it and didn't say anything to her. She thought she was being nice and letting other girls go since she wasn't wrestling until 3 p.m. and the other girls were wrestling at 10 a.m. That's horrible. That's, like, yeah. I just, yeah. I don't know how that His explanation happens. isn't horrible. The, the, the result is horrible. Yeah. I, I don't know that how that happens. I mean, we've all been to a million wrestling tournaments and – you know, yeah. they're calling it over the loudspeaker. They're telling them exactly who needs to go in, you know, and, and it's a finalist. Like, you don't have that many of them, and you know who they are, especially if one's sitting by the door. You'd think somebody would look and say, hey, we changed this, and she's not weighing in. What's going on? Like, and like I said, if, you know, if, if she was the only one that missed, maybe we could talk about, well, everybody else knew, but she's not the only one that missed weigh-in. So that's, that's bad on UWW, bad on the people on the ground there. That's unfortunate. Um, the good thing is it doesn't cost her anything. It's not a ranking series event. It's not world championships. I'm not sure if they have any prize money for it, but that's really unfortunate. Whoever was in charge of that needs to be talked to. It is, it is legacy stuff, though, because, like, I mean, to say you won the Medved is pretty damn significant versus explaining how you didn't get a medal but made the finals and got hosed on the weigh-ins. Right. And, That's and she, tra- she trains at ASU with my buddy Lee Pritz. I mean, I know he was excited about, you know, they've done a good job of picking her. So, it's it, yeah. I mean, you're right, but the other side of that is also right, too. Yeah. You know, it's no I mean, it, you got to get that right. But, you know, this is 2018. Central Florida has changed – claiming a uh, national title from last year in football. So if she puts Medved champion or at least Medved finalist on there, I'm not going to say anything. If she wants to market that, I'm good with that. Yeah. But I mean, you know how that goes though, right? Like people that compete at that level, they're the hardest on themselves. Oh, I know. And I'm sure she's unhappy about it, but that's what I mean. That that's just, 
tournament administration is so important and it's overlooked a lot. You know, it's just dumped on people, but that's the kind of stuff that happens when you don't think of the details. When you change weigh-ins, you have to be so sure and over-communicate, even to the point where people are telling you, yeah, yeah, I know you told us this already. You have to make sure people know. And that's, that's bad to see that happen. And, you know, I'm sure somebody somewhere is going to take that in under advisement and try to figure out how that happened and make sure it doesn't happen again. But that's, you know, like you said, it's not going to help her and it's not going to help the Belarusian that lost out on a chance for a bronze because of the same idea. So that's, no doubt, bad. Man. that's bad. Yeah. Well, and, and thanks to Brian Medlin for, for helping us with that. Like we appreciate that because um, it's nice to have people that are on the ground and not speculate and kind of really know, you know, what, what happened there. So, Big big thanks to Brian for doing that. Absolutely. And he was on he was on that chat by the way. That dude is awesome. <laughs> so he's yeah. So um, yeah. So anyway, thank you, Brian. Absolutely, thank you, Brian. Um, moving to the 133 pound rankings. If you missed it last week, we kind of went through 125. We made our picks for the top four. Uh, looked at what the rankings are going to be and kind of talked about the weight. We're going to do the same with 133 and see how far we get. We may do 141 today as well. Um, obviously, defending national champion Seth Gross is coming back. I feel like he's a little overlooked right now because of all the other wrestlers at this weight and all the weight movement. Not a lot of people are talking about him, but he is a defending champ. You know, I, I went back and I looked at his run two years ago at NCAAs and then his run last year at NCAAs. Other than the epic match with Tariq Wilson, who just drummed everyone else that weekend. So I want to be clear, you know, Gross was the only one to even stay in a match with Wilson, much less beat him. Other than that, he really hasn't had close calls in NCAA tournament. You know, obviously, Corey Clark beat him in the finals in 2017. But every other match, he's won by four or five points. So obviously, the favorite and, you know, Maybe getting a little overlooked, but I'm sure that won't bother him any. He'll just try to win all the matches. Uh, second ranked would be Stevan Michic, who's had a nice offseason. Uh, Tariq Wilson, as previously mentioned, after his third-place finish. Luke Pletcher, um, probably, I mean, we have Cade Brock or Dayton Fix listed fifth, although that's probably going to be Fix or Piccinini, depending on which order they go. Um, then Ethan Lezak, Scotty Parker, and Montori Bridges are all returning All-Americans. John Ernesti, ninth. Um, Jack Mueller will not be wrestling. He's a red shirt. Then after that, it'll probably be Austin DeSanto at Iowa rounding out the top 10. David, what strikes you about this weight? Well, first of all, a truckload of All-Americans, right? So and you've got eight returning All-Americans if Brock's in the weight or Piccinini's in the weight. Lee Zach's a guy that frame-wise, moving up, certainly doesn't feel like it's a problem. Tariq Wilson obviously jumped levels at the national tournament, uh, did wonders for my fantasy wrestling squad, so God bless Tariq Wilson and Obi Blanc and Pat Pop. Uh, you know, can he be consistent all year as a guy that's going to come in as a top three guy who scored a truckload of bonus points as well? You know, NC State needs that, you know, to, to – try to stay at the level they were at because they had an unbelievably good tournament last year. Uh, Ernesty, 
you know, he was the one that matched up with Tariq round one. You know, it's, it's been well documented that, you know, maybe Mizzou didn't have the toughest schedule and, you know, maybe, maybe that cost him a nationals, but you and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago about how Sam and Kate Brock and that crazy match were, in my opinion, they both picked the wrong position. And then I'm not sure that Jano is going to wrestle for Iowa. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to put things out on the street that are only a rumor, but it's possible Renneria wrestles. So what people should know is that, you know, like, and I'm sure you'll do a lot of consulting with me this year on the rankings, but I put these together at first glance and we're just commenting on them and I'll tweak it. You know, we'll take Mueller out and bump everybody up a spot, but we try to rank guys based on the highest justification for each team. So Kay Brock finished fifth at nationals. Gross was first, music second, Tariq third, Pletcher fourth. So we put Brock there to help not only, A, he deserves it, and B, we don't have any confirmation for sure that he's going up, and C, it also gives Oklahoma State the best representation of their team points. And it's not we like Oklahoma State. We would do that for any of the 70-some-odd teams that have a, a Division One wrestling program. So I think Lezak's an interesting guy because I don't think he's wrestled any of these guys. He feels like the one guy that style-wise – would just be absolutely awesome to watch Russell Seth Gross. Yeah, that that's one that if Lezak doesn't take top, um, I'm not sure why anyone ever would, uh, because that's how he's going to win that match. You know, that would be. I mean, obviously Gross is going to be a tough matchup for anyone, the way he scrambles and how dangerous he is from top. But that's a tough matchup for Lezak because he's got to win it by choosing top and turning him. I don't really know how he's going to get a takedown um, because you got to finish clean against Seth Gross and Lezak's not the cleanest finisher in the world. That'd be a tough one for him, but he has that trump card that he can always play that I'm going to take top and I'm going to turn you over. So that would be interesting to watch. Um, he's proven he can come from deep holes to win matches before. So that would be, he's a wild card at this weight. I looking through this, I mean, they obviously, like you said, there's so many All-Americans, and then there's almost a tr just a truckload of other guys at this weight that could be right there with them. I mean, you're talking about DeSanto or Renteria, and then you've got Gary Wayne Harding getting a shot at North Carolina. You've got Austin Gomez, as long as he heals up fine. You've got probably RBY at Penn State, Mickey Phillippe at Pitt, Vito Rujo at Cornell, and Josh Terrao still around at American. Just so many guys that you know, that we hadn't, you know, absolutely, absolutely. There's just so many yeah. of them uh, that could do something. Uh, so Lezak is one of those guys, I feel like he's going to have a regular season where he figures out 133 and he might take a loss or two that you're not expecting, but he's going to do it at the national tournament. He's going to be right there. He's going to be an All-American. And I, I think he might even sneak into the top four. Like he's got that sort of ability. So really interesting to watch this wave. Yeah, it's super deep, right? Like we have, if we take Mueller out, which obviously we will, you know, we have a guy like Josh Terrell ranked 20th. And I think, I mean, he was a, he was a top 10 seed at Nationals last year. So, I mean, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of room for movement here, sort of like from nine down. That you know, these guys in the top eight, you don't feel like they're probably going to lose to anybody outside of that top eight, except maybe like an Ernest or a Renneria during the year. I mean, Rico Montoya is not going to bump into a lot of these guys with their schedule. Sean Nickel isn't. Colin Valdivia is. I got to give a shout out to him. He's a Kansas City guy. I know him and his family really well. He was the guy that ended up wrestling when Renneria missed weight and went two and two with literally. You got to give that kid credit. He cut weight for two weeks on just the hope that somebody else missed weight. Like, and he made it. And then he went, and then he went two and two. And as a true freshman, he's got to have a ton of confidence that he was able to do that with basically zero prep because he doesn't even know where he's going to go into the bracket. That's what's crazy. You know, he just he's kind of playing with house money. So, just super interesting. I think that. You know, there's other guys down here like Corbin Myers transferred to Virginia Tech. Dylan Duncan had a good year. Cam Kelly. I mean, there's just, like you mentioned, Gomez, RBY. I don't know if you mentioned Justin Mejia, who's kind of had a an interesting journey in college. But, you know, hopefully he'll be eligible this year at Fresno. I mean, there, there are guys with truckloads of high school credentials. That's for dang sure. Definitely. Yeah, I didn't mention Mejia, but he's absolutely on that list. I mean, you know, you talk about the top eight kind of being impregnable other than those couple of guys that are right there. But you know, that's that's the really interesting thing about a lot of these young guys. They could turn out to be something amazing. You know, Montori Bridges is still going to just be a sophomore. He might make the leap. But, you know, when you're talking about Vito Arujao and Gomez and Mejia and those guys, we don't know what they are. RBY at Penn State's the same way. You know, they they might be that good. They might not be, especially by March after, you know, a full season on the mat, they might be that good. It's really hard to tell. And then you've got Tariq Wilson, who's kind of a wild card too, because, you know, I, I love looking back at his season because he was so good at NCAAs, you know, that's been well-documented. He was taking losses up through the conference tournament that just made yeah. you think he had no chance to do what he did. I mean, he got drummed by Dom Forey's at, ACC's, you know, Pletcher beat him in February in that duel. You know, it's just... Okay, Brock smashed him at the spaghetti duel, and then he, he killed Kate Brock at Nationals. Absolutely. Something between the ACC tournament and NCAAs, he turned into Superman and, you know, was a overtime match with Seth Gross away from probably winning a title the way he was rolling. So Honestly, if he shoots, he probably is in the finals. Probably so. And just and, yeah. and the way he's going at that point, you got you would think he's going to finish it off because he just smashed everyone after that. So, but that's the thing. Is that a, was that a one weekend thing or was that the new Tariq Wilson? And that's the hardest thing to figure out. I mean, he beat a murderer's row of people. I did this study when I was writing for the Open Mat, where I looked at guys like that that kind of came out of nowhere from low seeds or unseeded to All American and how they did the next year. And the guys that beat a lot of high seeds rather than pulling one or two upsets were much more likely to do it again. And so he did that. He proved that he has that ability to compete with anyone at this weight. So you got to like his chances, but you don't think he's going to major all those guys again. At least I can't think that way. So I kind of wonder, is he the third best guy? Is he the fifth best guy? That's going to be hard to determine. 
I mean, I kind of hope I'm wrong and he goes out and smashes everyone because that is always a ton of fun to watch and it would be a great story. But I can't imagine he's just going to mush people all year long. Maybe. Maybe. Like you said, he's got that confidence now. You get that confidence and you become a different dude. (laughs) So he went from I hope I can to I think I can and now you can't tell me I can't. So that's significant, man, in the mental game. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued by how he's going to do. Um, I got a chance to sit in a quarter against Vito Arujao. He's special. He's really special. He's special on his feet. Uh, he's really special on top and freestyle. I don't know about, you know, if his top game and folk style is nearly as good, but he's going to be able to go on his feet with most of these guys. Like, He's probably already, you know, better on his feet than like a Lezak and those guys. And I think he can go on his feet with Scotty Parker and Bridges. Scotty Parker's a guy that always finds a way to place in that six, seven, eight round. It just doesn't get enough credit. You know, like when he beat Cade Brock early in the year last year and he goes out at journeyman, just, you know, Cade kind of a, you know, it felt like Brock lost the match that Parker didn't win it, but it, it set up some weird things for seeding the whole year. So, I know we're probably going to do our picks here in a minute. I, I haven't actually thought a lot about it, but th- this is an interesting way, especially if you look at the fact if somebody said to you, hey, Austin Gomez could be in the blood round. You go, no doubt. RBY could be in the blood round. No doubt. Justin Mejia could be in the blood round. Okay, I'll buy that. So that means of these 12 guys, three of them were taking out. So, you know, pick your three. Right. Because it's going to be difficult. You know, if you pick the three guys at the bottom, you're saying, okay, I'm taking out Sean Nickel, Rico Montoya, and then either Austin DeSanto or Renteria. I'm like, okay, man, good luck with that. You know, and then that means guys like Valdivias and Arujao and Matt Schmidt and Corbin Myers all lost in the round of 16, assuming these other guys were all in the top eight. So it's, I think, the round of 16, the quarterfinals, and those two rounds of wrestlebacks are going to be gigantic in terms of a bunch of one-point matches. And I think this is a way where the seeding out to 28 is going to make a big difference because I think this is going to be largely matchup-driven. Like one of the reasons why I thought Tariq could make kind of a run was I thought he matched up well with an earnesty style. And I think he was supposed to wrestle Terrell in the next round. And I think Terrell was the 12th seed. I think he said top 10. I was wrong because he, he didn't have a good qualifier. He actually had to get wild carded in, but had been a top 10 guy most of the year. Ernesty was the five, and then Terrell was going to be the 12. And then Terrell got upset at Nationals. And I, I don't think any of us predicted Tariq to beat Brock in the quarters, but I was like, well, then he's, he's one match away from placing, and he probably didn't think he was going to win it, so he's going to wrestle really hard on the back. And, you know, then – you know, he goes hoax smash on Brock and then wrestles unbelievable against Gross. I mean, that, that match was just captivating to watch. Yeah. I, you, if you have the chance, go back and watch that match because, you know, I sat there and watched it the first time because as we all were, I think we were transfixed by what Tariq was doing. And then the fact that he could go with Gross was just mind boggling. And it's just that, so many twists and turns in that match. And so I can't wait. I hope, you know, to see that again. And, you know, you talked about, 
you know, all the guys that could make round of 12 and that's absolutely right. You know, I completely agree, but even, you know, the three through eight, that could be all kinds of different orders. You know, I mean, I feel like gross and Michich are kind of, you know, locked into the top four, but after that, I mean, yeah, Wilson, yeah, Luke Pletcher, but those guys could lose to whoever Oklahoma State, if, if it's Dayton Fix or Ethan Lezak or Scott Parker or Montori Bridges, you know, those guys can be beat. So this is going to be a madhouse. And by the time we get to Pittsburgh, we'll have learned a ton more about these guys, but it's going to be a great watch. And this is a deep, deep weight that's going to be fun to follow all year long. Um, let's get to the picks. Well, and, and and the other guy we haven't mentioned in this way is Soriano. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he may go here, which obviously throws another wrench into everything. Um, <laughs> I think we, we talked a lot about him last week because I, I kind of feel like he ought to go 25. If he's, if he's not sure he's a 33 by now, I think probably 25 is the wait for him. But, you know, he's going to go either way, and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with either way. So, yeah, that's that could just throw another wrench into things. My goodness. Uh, yeah. Now you got nine All-Americans at that weight. <laughs> yeah. Well, nine All-Americans and, you know, six or seven guys that have legit, you know, national title type talent. It just – that's insane. So this is going to be great. Um, do you want to go first to your top four or do you want to save that for 141? No, I will because you went first to 25, right? I, yeah, I think so. Take evens and odds, right? So fair is fair. Uh, I mean, we already know you're smarter just by knowing the electronic tapper stuff, so that's <laughs> no high level. So I'm going to go a little bit out on a limb here, and I'm going to take Nisic to win it. I think getting a train with Bill Glazov, getting a train with, with John Morrison and those guys up there, I think that's going to be a, a big bump for him. Uh, I'm going to pick Gross second. And then this gets really, this gets dicey. Uh, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take Tariq, and I'm gonna assume. Well, this is the crazy thing. We pick, we picked Fix at 25. So, if we're picking Fix at 25, that means we're saying Pitch is going 33 probably, and that Cage probably going 41, or him or G Feller. So. I don't want to be chalky. I'm going to take Lezak fourth. And then I got to type these in as we're talking, so hold on. Uh, this is great radio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got Mitich and then Gross and then Wilson and then Lezak. And I get to pick two wild cards, right? That's what we're doing. Yep. You guys are not in the top eight. Definitely. So I am going to take boy. I'm going to take RBY and DeSanto. <laughs> oh well, you know, you know, I talked about when we were prepping about you know it, it's good when we don't pick the same guys, but we didn't do too well this week because I I have mine written down here. And that's okay. All right. So you know I didn't. No, I know. I did that off the top of your head, and if I didn't know better, I'd say you were looking at my notes. But I, I know better because I sent it to my own email, so I know you don't have access to that. Um, All right. 
Now I did pay, I, I have gross over Michich. Um, you know, yeah, that, that sure. could go either way, but I like talking. Be chalky, Alex. Don't cut on a limb. It's cool. No, I, you know, I think gross is a, a little underrated all of a sudden because, you know, everybody wants to talk about everybody else, but he's the defending champ and he has been that good. You know, his only loss last year was to Bryce Meredith when he bumped up. So sure. he, yeah, he's legit. Obviously I'm just teasing. Yeah, right. yeah. No, absolutely. But you know, I'm worried about Tariq. He absolutely could be third, but I have Luke Fletcher f- taken third, and I laugh because, yeah, I had Ethan Lezak fourth, too. So, <laughs> All right. So you got Gross, Meechick, Fletcher, Fletcher Lezak. Yeah, and my two wild cards were exactly the same as yours. I have Austin DeSanto and RB5. Like, I, we could have done that if we tried. With all, the, all right. with all the talent at this weight, and we picked those two guys. But, you know, DeSanto – Assuming he is the guy and goes instead of Renteria, which, you know, I think that's yet to be decided. But that guy was so good last year, just little tweaks to his approach. You know, you want to you want to coach that discipline a little more without losing what makes him such a good, intense competitor. If he can get that, and Iowa is probably a good place to learn that because the brands know that kind of stuff more than anybody. Um, right. You know, that's, he could be an absolute force and, you know, RBY great situation at Penn state and he's super talented. So he's a guy you got to look for. So, yep. I agree with those two. Well, we got the top three different in order. Yeah. Um, we didn't go. And the, the one thing is we, we don't, we're not, we don't know what the other guy is going to pick. And then we're going to do the same thing with the over-unders and all that stuff. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's fun to guess. I mean, that's one of the cool things about rankings are, you know, there is a formula. So it doesn't matter what any of us think. If you win, you're going to get yourself into the tournament and you're going to get yourself a seed that you deserve. So that, that's what really matters. You know, that what you and I think or what any other ranking service thinks is not going to have an impact on guys getting what they deserve. It's just—it's fun though. It's really fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's so, September. This is what we have. If you're a college wrestling fan in September, this is the best you can do. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're four, so, We're 46 minutes in. Do we want to tackle 141? I don't know. Um, I think maybe wait because I think that's an interesting wait, and I don't want to try to blow through it in like 10 minutes. I will tell you that I think I sent you a text message that. Edwin said there was literally seven people that missed weight uh, going back to that other scenario. So clearly it was a communication issue. And your point about being over, over communicative is, you know, is a, is a valid, valid point that that needs to happen. So, uh, you know, I think we can, we can definitely wish like the rest of the junior, the junior world team, I talked to Eric Guerrero. He was flying out, I think, today to go coach Tom Demas and then, you know, a bunch of those other guys. And Josh Saunders is, is heading out and Zach Elam and all those other guys. I don't mean to, you know, discount anybody. Those are just, you know, guys that I have, you know, know personally and that kind of stuff. So um, awesome experience for those guys. Obviously, we want to do more than just have a good experience. But bottom line is, uh, you know, we got great kids. Those guys are all great kids doing great things, and, and that's awesome to see. Absolutely. Women's freestyle starts tomorrow. You know, looking at our team, we have another just stout, stout women's freestyle team. Um, 
of course, the first half goes tomorrow, then the second half of them goes the next day. Um, medal matches, obviously, Barry Asa goes for gold tomorrow. It, the Junior Worlds every year just amazes me at how talented these kids are at a young age. You know, you look at them, I, Japan's bringing senior world medalists to Junior World Championships in women's freestyle. And, you know, Greco guys have won senior level you know, tournaments, freestyle, men's freestyle, you see it every year. Somebody make does big things at Junior Worlds and goes right onto the senior level and competes. So yeah, for these kids to get a chance, I mean, we still t- think about them as kids, but they're really wrestling at that level. Um, so good luck to all of them. We'll keep an eye on it. Watch it on track wrestling. And you know what, David? It's going to be another great week. Anytime you and me get to chop it up, it's a good week, Alex. And when we get to talk about electronic cappers, it's it's special, man. You know, we're, we're keeping up on 100 episodes, and so everything's good. Everything's awesome, and we're getting close to wrestling season. You know, when we get to literally kick around these rankings, you and I do this where we we document everything right after the season while it's fresh in our mind. But then, you, you know, you kind of let it go because you're working on freestyle and Greco and other things. So this is fun to dig back into it for sure. Absolutely, and thanks to all of you for listening. This has been the Weighing In Podcast by Track Wrestling. We'll see you next week.